You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Locked On Kentucky Podcast. We bring you info and insights on UK football and basketball every weekday. Stay informed by making us part of your morning or afternoon commute. Listen and follow for free on Apple or Google Podcast. Just subscribe to Locked On Kentucky. I'm Dan Reefer with Fox 56, and normally I am joined by Kyle Tucker of The Athletic, but uh, unable to join me on this podcast for Tuesday, but uh, we'll have him back soon, so... Uh, jumping in, starting off, we're going to talk about the UK Vandy matchup, get into that just a little bit, uh, and then also discuss what Joel Justice had to say as he previewed that game before the team headed to Nashville uh, on Monday afternoon, uh, talk about Ashton Hagens a little bit. Also, we'll get into these these net rankings, uh, you know, Ken Palm, uh, the, the top projected, uh, you know, the 16... Um, are the top 16 projected seeds for the NCAA tournament that was released over the weekend. We'll discuss that as well. Uh, but first, let's start with uh, Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Um, that game, 7 o'clock tonight on ESPN. UK's won seven straight over Vanderbilt. But get this. This is crazy. Vanderbilt is led by double digits in four of those, those last seven games that Kentucky's won. That's a little wacky. Uh, to think about, but UK's won ten of the last eleven in the series and is twelve and two against Vanderbilt since 2013. Last Vanderbilt win was back in uh, 2016, February 27th in Nashville. Uh, UK last time um, when when Vanderbilt came to Rupp Arena, uh, that seemed like it sparked Vanderbilt a little bit. Like I, I can remember Kyle and I doing this podcast and. Uh, I mentioned that John Calipari said, well, if Vanderbilt can hit their threes, then they're a dangerous team and they could beat us, is what John Calipari said. And Kyle was like, yeah, I'm not even buying that. I don't think we should even uh, give that any any time. We should not spend too much time talking about Vanderbilt because they're horrible. And at the time, Vanderbilt had just been getting blown out by everybody. Uh, I think they were still reeling from losing their best player, Aaron Neesmith. Who uh, they lost him on, I think, on January 8th, somewhere around there. And it was a blow. And I, I think they took some time to, to kind of adjust to that, figure out how they're going to play. And they were getting destroyed by everybody. It's not like they're good now. They're still 1 and 9 in conference play, but they didn't give up. And they played better against Kentucky. And that got them going a little bit. And then lo and behold, last week, they knock off LSU which was crazy because during the time that Vanderbilt had lost 26 consecutive regular season conference games going 0 for 26, LSU had gone 24 and 2 over that same stretch. So you had 0 and 8 Vanderbilt versus 8 and 0 LSU and they're able to pull that off. So how were they able to pull that off? Well, against LSU, Vanderbilt went 12 of 30 from 3. They had 14 assists to eight turnovers and were 17 of 23 at the free throw line. LSU went four of 18 from three. So Vanderbilt made eight more three-pointers. Also, uh, LSU, 10 assists, 10 10 turnovers. So 10 turnovers there. Um, 
At the same time, LSU missed eight free throws. So Vanderbilt has, a, well, just a two-point advantage there. Or actually, never mind. Never, the free throw discrepancy is not as big of a deal as the, as the double-digit uh, three-pointers made by Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt's 9-14 and 14 overall and has hit 10 or more threes in eight games this season. They're 5-3 and three in those games, and two of those losses in overtime, the other one was at Auburn. So they hit 10 or more threes twice in SEC play in a win over LSU in a four-point road loss to Auburn. They went 9-26 of 26 against Kentucky in Rupp Arena from three. So when they hit double digits and threes, they're tough to beat. But, I mean, they've got a chance. They're 5-3. and three. They got a chance. They play... They're tough to beat. They play a good game. I mean, they hit nine threes against Kentucky. We saw how that worked out. Uh, Third most three-point attempts and makes in the SEC. I mean, they're average hitting eight per game. And they have the fourth best three-point field goal percentage in the SEC, 32.7%. So we we discussed this again, previewing Vanderbilt the last time, and we, we didn't give them credit and didn't talk about them enough. This time, I'm not going to make that mistake. Going to give them a little bit of respect and discuss them a little bit because in Memorial Gymnasium, they have a chance, especially if they're hitting threes. If they hit 10 threes, 12 threes, look out. Now, LSU did not play any defense against Vanderbilt. I mean, that, that game was 99 to 90. Uh, it was just you know trading punches. But Kentucky didn't play very good defense against Vanderbilt in Rupp Arena when they met a few weeks ago. I mean, Saban Lee, Kentucky couldn't stay in front of him. They couldn't guard him. Saban Lee, he is now averaging 18.3 points per game in SEC play. The, the game against Kentucky, Saban Lee had 21 points, four assists. He went eight of 13 from the field, only took three points, three threes. He went one of three from three. So what does that tell you? He was driving the ball. Um, He he was just having his way. He had 33 points against LSU. He had 20 against Miss State over the weekend on Saturday in a loss to the Bulldogs down there in a game that Vanderbilt was leading at halftime. But that was one of the things that that Joel Justice brought up uh, in his uh, meeting with the media was that he said they've got great guard play in Saban Lee and Scottie Pippen Jr. that can get by your initial line of defense, which they did against us here a little bit. When they get paint touches, you have to collapse, and that leaves shooters open. I think a big thing when you play a team like that is you just can't give them early open looks. It's something that we talk about to where they are in rhythm with their feet, where they're in rhythm with their hands, where they're in rhythm with their eyes to where they are going to feel good about shooting the basketball. You can't let that happen. I think it starts on the ball. When you have good on-the-ball defenders that can keep the ball in front of you. Problems happen defensively whenever teams penetrate that initial line of defense, and now you're in tags, you're in rotations, now you're helping to where then teams drive and kick, now you're playing in a scramble mode. The amount of possessions, the amount of ball reversals really lead to that for good shooting teams and good passing teams. I think we did a good job of that on Saturday in Knoxville. Tennessee, I think, 
as Joel Justice says, was sixth in assisted field goals in the country, and we did a pretty good job of containing the initial penetration to where that limits ball reversal for threes. Exactly. Kentucky played good defense against Tennessee. That's what they're going to have to do against Vanderbilt is keep those guys from being able to penetrate, get in the paint, and be able to kick to open shooters and stay in front of Saban Lee, for goodness sakes. All right, when we come back, a little bit more from what uh, Joel Justice said, including uh, Ashton Hagens. Just uh, has his play suffered a little bit lately? Uh, the decision-making, yes. Well, well, we'll get into the numbers of that and, and let you know what assistant coach Joel Justice had to say about that when the Locked On Kentucky podcast continues. You are Locked On Kentucky your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. All right, back here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. And on Monday, Joel Justice, the assistant coach at UK, he previewed, instead of taking the place of John Calipari, he previewed uh, the Vanderbilt game. In case you don't know, John Calipari is now only, he didn't have his radio show on Monday night. Normally he has his radio show on Monday night. But because they were traveling to Vanderbilt, to Nashville tonight, or Monday night, I'm sorry, that he, I guess he didn't do it. He's going to do that show on Wednesday night instead. Uh, so Joel Justice was uh, filling in, but uh, it turns out that I guess a couple of weeks ago, UK said that Calipari will now just talk once a week to the media, and that'll be on the Friday previewing Saturday's game instead of uh, twice a week. So that means we get an assistant. I think we have t- had, had Tony Barbie a couple of weeks ago, had Kenny Payne last week, this week, it's Joel Justice. It's Calipari's 61st birthday, by the way, and he tweeted out that he was in Nashville having dinner with uh, his daughter. One of his daughters lives there in Nashville. Uh, but let's get to what Joel Justice had to say about Ashton Hagens. And the reason for the questioning is Ashton Hagens has had five or more turnovers in three of the last four games. Five or more turnovers in three of the last four games. Five the last game, two the game before that, six the game before that, five in the in the previous game, and then f- even four if you go back five games. Before that, before this stretch of five or more turnovers in three of the last four games, he had five or more turnovers in only four games total all season. So going into this stretch... You know, he was his decision making was had been pretty good. He, he hadn't had five or more turnovers. Uh, the, the times that he did it, uh, I think like Utah Valley was one of them. Uh, maybe Evansville was one of them. But anyway, the point is that it's just it's become unusual. What what's happening here? You remember he went through a little bit of a slump last year uh, after starting out hot. Now, look, he still leads the league in assists, and he's tied for second in steals. So he's, you know, he's still helping his team quite a bit. He, he's a great defender. You're not going to be like, I mean, they have to have him on the floor. Uh, he, he does, I would say the net result is he does more to help than he does to hurt, but it would help so much more and, you know, and, and, remove a little bit of the margin for error if those turnovers were, were to come down. I, I think they need to come down. They just absolutely do. 
So Justice was asked about it, and he uh, he kind of defended Ashton is how I feel about it. Uh, almost like, look, guys, um, we're not that worried about it. His exact quote was, I don't think it concerns us. That was part of it. The whole thing was, Ashton is a driven, competitive young man that wins, uh, that wants to do well first and foremost. And sometimes Ashton comes in and just is trying to make the right play be perfect instead of just taking what's there and getting our team into some offense or taking a shot. He's trying to get guys involved, and I really think he's trying to do what Coach is asking him to do. He's trying to do what our team is asking him to do, and he wants to win more than anything. Sometimes it's unlucky. Talking about the turnovers now is Joel Justice. Sometimes it's unlucky. Sometimes it's him forcing it. Sometimes it's the fact that uh, we haven't had guys play well when they've had their opportunities, and now he is playing extended minutes when he should be coming out and grabbing a quick blow. I don't think it concerns us. I think it's, think it's just another opportunity for him to learn and grow. He's still a young basketball player in the grand scheme of things, and for us, it gives other guys an opportunity to step up and play well, and thankfully for us, they have. So, I mean, that sounds like Joel Justice defending him a little bit to me, is that, look, there's it's unlucky. Uh, sometimes he forces it, and then sometimes there's guys that aren't playing well out there when he's out there. And um, he's having to play extended minutes when he should get a rest. And that's a grind. So, so I could definitely see a little bit of that. Uh, and then someone asked him something along the lines of, uh, on Emmanuel quickly, where it was uh, something about if he, he, if he doesn't show up or something like that. Um, but basically... Justice was saying, you know, our guys can have an off night. I mean, it's just going to happen. They're not robots. They're not machines. Um, but he's saying, even when quickly, like, hasn't shown up the way you're thinking, the way the reporter is thinking when he's asking this question, even when, you know, you think he's not showing up, he is. Justice says, I think Emmanuel shows up every single night. Now, if shots don't fall, Sometimes that's the way the game is, but he's going to be a guy that's engaged in huddles, that's talking, and that is ready to play. And that's what we've seen. And he even referenced, like, you go back to Utah and Ohio State, and you may look at how he played then in those games, but even then he was still engaged and he was still ready to play and he fought. And that's the kind of consistency uh, that that Kentucky needs from you know, from some other guys. I think, he, you know, Emmanuel is very much the, the model where he comes in there, whether, whether his shot falls or not, he comes in there with the right mindset. He's doing all the other things. He's doing everything he can, whether he, whether he shoots it well or not. And then figuring out a way to get to the free throw line the way he does. He's a 92.5% free throw shooter. So he, he's developed that little way of getting himself to the free throw line. So if he can't, you know, if he goes one of six shooting the three, he can get himself to the line. Uh, he, he's invaluable, what, what he's been able to do. His consistency is just incredible for Kentucky. And then uh, on Keon Brooks, Joel Justice said, yeah, look, he's just a, 
He's an active live body that doesn't quit the first time he's hit. So that tells you something right there, I think. Doesn't quit the first time he's hit. Meaning, maybe there's some guys who do. Uh, but then he said he's a little period of time where he was playing well, and then he got a little bit sick. And now he's back feeling 100%. And when Keon was asked about it, he's like, I'm, I can't make an excuse for that. That's not an excuse. I should have fought through it or whatever. But clearly... Him being sick, uh, getting sick. We, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the flu or mono or whatever, but he, he did get sick and maybe he was trying to push through it and it, it affected him. And so he was, you know, he was on his way. He was headed in the right direction. And then that set him back a little bit and now he's back to where he was before he got sick, headed, headed in that, uh, that direction again. Uh, so that pretty much uh, was the high points of what we heard from Joel Justice on Monday. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, Kentucky's you know, moving up. They moved up in the AP poll that was came out Monday. They're, uh, they're up a little bit better in the net ranking. Uh, they've moved up a little bit better in the Ken Palm ranking. But still, th- those numbers are, are, are a little crazy. We'll discuss that when we return here on the Locked On Kentucky podcast. This is Locked On Kentucky. Your team every day. Okay, back here on the Lockdown Kentucky podcast. And Kentucky takes on Vanderbilt in Nashville, 7 o'clock tonight on ESPN. Kentucky is an 11-point favorite in that game. Last I checked, that was the opening line. Uh, Kentucky moved up to number 12 in the Associated Press poll that came out on Monday. Uh, So that's a nice little bump for the Cats to, to jump up there to number 12, inching up closer. Um... I think one through nine stayed the same in the Associated Press poll. There really wasn't a whole lot of movement. But still, there were teams like Butler uh, getting beat. Teams that are lose, keep losing to unranked teams. Michigan State lost to Michigan. You think about that, that craziness. Michigan started the season unranked. Michigan State started the season ranked number one, of course. Then Michigan gets all the way up to number five. After some impressive non-conference wins, then they're unranked again. Michigan State, hanging around in the top 15, then loses to Michigan. So after losing to Michigan, Michigan State is out of the top 25. They're not in the AP poll. Michigan State, the number one preseason team, is currently not in the latest AP top 25. However... When the top 16 seeds, the projected seeds for the NCAA tournament came out on Saturday, Michigan State was right there at, at uh, 16. They were the number 16, a four seed on the four line. Now, I would say not now because they lost to Michigan, right? I mean, that's what you would think. They're not in the top 25. Well, let's look at what they are in the net rankings. You know, the net rankings, these are the metrics. This is the system that these people are looking at. Like these these people on the selection committee, they can't watch all the games. I'm sure that they're supposed to watch as many as they can. They can't watch all the games. So they rely on this metric system to help them, you know, come up with with the the seedings. So they're using Ken Palm. Ken Palm is part of what the net is. Ken Palm puts together the adjusted offensive 
and defensive efficiencies, and that makes up part of the net rankings. So the net is a metric that they rely on. Like if you look at what the net says versus what those top 16 uh, seeds were, like San Diego State, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Kansas, that's one through four in the net. Well, in in the, the NCAA selection committee, it was Baylor, Kansas, Gonzaga, and San Diego State. So the top four are the same. That second set, five, six, seven, eight. Well, five was Duke. Well, in in the uh, NCAA projections, five was Duke. In the net, it's Dayton. Well, Dayton's six in the NCAA projection. Duke is sixth in the net. That stays the same. Louisville, seventh in the net, seventh in the NCAA projection. Eight was West Virginia by the NCAA selection committee. They're ninth in the net. Eighth in the net is Maryland. Ninth by the NCAA. So you get what I'm saying here. It's all kind of lining up. Michigan State, again, out of the top 25. 11 in the net. 11 in the net. They are number 10 in Ken Palm. Are you kidding me? How is Michigan State number 10 in Ken Palm? It's, it's like because you play in the Big Ten, no loss really hurts. No loss hurts if you play in the Big Ten this year. That's basically what they're saying. To me, anyway. That, that's how I can see. Big East, very similar. They're beating up on each other. Like Seton Hall, Villanova, Butler, uh, Creighton, Marquette. These guys are just, like, beating up on each other. So, in the Big East, Creighton, if you go by the net rankings, Creighton is 24. Villanova's 18, Marquette's 17, ahead of Villanova, Uh, Butler's 14, Seton Hall is 12. So 12 through 24, you've got several from the Big East. That's not hurting them when they lose to each other. It's not hurting them in this metric. I mean, my goodness, I told you, I think we said this on the podcast uh, yesterday, Purdue is 14 and 10. That's their record. They're number 13 in Ken Palm. Ridiculous. So Kentucky in Ken Palm is at number 29. Auburn is at 30. So Kentucky is actually higher than Auburn. Kentucky is the highest ranked SEC team in Ken Palm. So that tells you that the SEC is just not valued. These teams are not, not valued in these metrics. LSU, Arkansas. You go to the net rankings, and Kentucky is number twenty-two. Again, the the second they're the second highest ranked. Auburn is fifteen. Auburn, by the way, in the NCAA projections, was the first four seed, if you will, number thirteen overall out of uh, out of the sixteen top sixteen projections. So Auburn's fifteen, and Kentucky is twenty-two in the net rankings. The thing that is kind of ridiculous to me is that Kentucky has that Evansville loss. Now, what what happened before the Evansville loss? What did they do? They beat Michigan State, the preseason number one. Michigan State's not number one anymore. Like I said, they're out of the top 25. Yet they're still up there in the net ranking, and they're up there in Ken Palm. They're 11 in net, 10 in Ken Palm. So... 
what is what does that say if Kentucky beat Michigan State? Well, don't say I was the first game of the season because Evansville was the third game of the season. I know it's a bad loss. It's a quadrant four, and Evansville is awful. I mean, they're 262 in the net. They're awful. We They've lost like 11, 12 games in a row, something like that. We get it. Understood. It's the third game of the season. So I think you have to, to, to take these metrics with a little bit of grain of salt here and realize that maybe Purdue isn't a top 15 team. Like Ken Palm says, they're four games above 500. Maybe the SEC is a little better than what you value it with your metrics, what they say. Clearly, there's something a little off with the metrics. In the net, San Diego State, I understand they're 23-0. They've yet to play a ranked foe. They haven't played anybody. It's ranked in the top 25 yet. Look, Gonzaga's got some really good wins, and Gonzaga's a really good team. I'm not going to trash Gonzaga. They've, they've played some people, and now that they're in the, the West Coast Conference, they don't play as many good teams, and they're having their way. But San Diego State hasn't played anyone who's ranked. It's not that they're not a good team. I mean, I'm sure they could beat um, several of the teams, but they're not playing – that schedule. They're not playing the Big Ten schedule. They're not playing the, the Big East schedule. So Baylor, to me, is clearly uh, deserving of that of that number one. Baylor and Gonzaga are really the only teams that I'd be afraid of if I'm a, a, a Kentucky. Like, if I'm a four seed, if Kentucky can play its way to a four seed, I don't want to be in, a, in Gonzaga or Baylor's bracket to face that one seed. Kansas... San Diego State, not worried about it. Duke is very dangerous, but they're vulnerable too. We've seen that. Um, I wouldn't be uh, worried about the rest of them, really. And I think Kentucky will play its way to a four seed. And uh, on, on the selection show, the top 16 selection show that they had on CBS on Saturday, uh, the, the committee chairs said that the ones that were really close just outside of that top 16, they mentioned Iowa, they mentioned Kentucky. Kentucky's got those opportunities coming up. Uh, you look at the, the return game against Auburn in Rupp Arena, and you look at the game at LSU in seven days. One week, they're at LSU. That'll be huge uh, to win that game. That could get Kentucky on that, on that uh, four line. Heading down the stretch. But, you know, Kentucky's got a nice win over Louisville. If you want to count Michigan State, I mean, I, I, even though it's the first game of the year, uh, I, I think they still have to count it pretty much. They look at a, you know, a 5-2 and two record that Kentucky has in Quadrant 1. Got the win against Texas Tech on the road. Got the win at Arkansas. Like, Arkansas is going the other direction now. So that win might start looking worse and worse because Arkansas, they lost Isaiah Joe, one of their best players, and had knee surgery. Uh, I don't know if you saw the game uh, on Saturday where Mason Jones and Coach Eric Musselman kind of jawing at each other. Mason Jones is 
one of the candidates for top candidates for player of the year in the SEC. Arkansas heading in the other direction is not good for Kentucky because then that could be a uh, a quadrant two instead of a quadrant one win. But South Carolina also could flip it the way they're playing and become a quadrant one win. So it was it's still a ways to go. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Still a ways to go before we, you know, really see what it's going to wind up. But I will say this in parting: that last uh, th- those those top sixteen seeds there that they put out, I really don't have much of a problem with most of it. I I actually think that Louisville uh, deserves to be a little ahead of of Duke. I think Louisville's deserving of a two seed, as is Duke. Uh, but, you know, they played in Cameron Indoor Stadium, and Louisville won that game. That's what I'm talking about with the metrics. Like, it doesn't have to be just that one game. I'm not, I don't mean that. If you look at Duke's resume and Louisville's resume, and Duke has two more quadrant one wins than Louisville, then to me, you still go, well, had, had they won. If Duke has... Eight more quadrant one wins or five more quadrant one wins than Louisville. Okay. Then you say, yeah, well, Duke's resume is just a little bit better. You know what I mean here? Let's not rely too heavily on these metrics. Don't get caught up in it too much. You've got to be able to watch these games and know that head-to-head means a little something. Anyway, like I said, the metrics, uh, you can't just... You can't just make them everything. I just hope that they they get it right. And uh, judging by this first 16, I'm not too too set off about it. I think Butler and Michigan State are probably not four seeds. We'll we'll discuss this more on down the road. I don't want to ramble on too much. But again, Kentucky and Vandy will wrap it up uh, and, and discuss that game for tomorrow's podcast and see how the Cats do and recap that. Unlocked on Kentucky. In the meantime, you can give Kyle crap for not being on this podcast. It's at Kyle underscore at ATH on Twitter. I am at D-R-I-E-F-F-E-R. Thanks for listening. Have a great Tuesday. You are locked on Kentucky. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or tell Alexa or Google to play podcasts locked on. Don't worry, I won't finish. You get the idea.